Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't show you once in a while uh, some of the things that the kids are doing next door. Uh, what's really cool about this series on David is that we've gotten a partner together and, and really strategize as to where I'm going, and they're just kind of following suit with that. And I wanted to call up two children and let them just talk to you. I prepped them with the question I was going to ask. Uh, and I also just wanted you to see a few pictures. The Kidmo ministry is really on fire. I just found out that we even have some men that want to get involved, husbands of women that are, that are working in the ministry that would like to get involved. Uh, let me just show you, even from Tuesday night, I mean, this was they did a couple of weeks ago with David and Goliath. I don't know how well you can see that. That's pretty cool. Who was Goliath, by the way? Ah, oh, I was like trying to zoom in. I'm like, who is that? All right, but yes, yes. Well, he did a great job with that. You see some of the kids. Are you hearing some of the lessons or what they're talking about in, in Kidmo at home? Are you hearing those things, parents? Yes? Great. All right, lie if, if you really aren't. Um, the caves, we're going to be in caves today, but we talked a couple of weeks ago. The last message I delivered to you was on Adullam. And we went there, and we're going we're gonna to be going to a place in Getty today. But look what they did. They took tents, and they, they made these caves, and they had these lessons in there. I mean, really cool stuff. Uh, there's another one. Akai and Kristoff brought their tents. They set everything up, did a great job. Thank you guys for all your help. See, the kids are having a great time. Uh, and this was on Tuesday night, right? And we met here. The kids were outside, and we had pushing back the darkness. You can see they made this, like effigy of Goliath, right? I mean, not really an effigy, something you'd burn, but um, the kids had slingshots that Joe Pinto, where's Joe? Joe, Joe, you made these slingshots. I went outside for a little while. The kids had these slingshots and they're going after Goliath. I mean, it was really cool stuff. I think I have, and this is the last one. I don't know how well you can see this. People see my outward appearance. God sees my heart. All right, and isn't that, I mean, that captures everything about the life of David when the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. So we're really excited about that. The best is yet to come. We're meeting this, I'm meeting this week with the, with the Kidmo team, excited about that, with stuff that we're going to be doing even moving into the future. So again, we, we thank you for all of your hard work, everyone that's been a part of this ministry, and it's just the beginning. All right, so now let me have Madison Lecce, my niece, and Lee Walcott, if they would come up. And uh, I just want you to speak instead of me speaking. Look at you too. Yeah, I'm going to give you a mic. My man, right? No, my brother's on it. He beat you. Who would like to go first? Madison, I'm going to, ladies first. I'm going to go to you first. All right. So could you tell us or tell the church, pick one thing that, um, what's not resonant, what's one thing that really has impacted you from the lessons during this David series? I'll hold it for you. Okay. Um, that, like, even if you feel small, that you could defeat something that's bigger than you if you trust in the Lord. Wow. That's fantastic. That's great. I don't know if I need to preach now, right? You just got a good message right there. Thank you. Lee, what do you have? Come here. Don't be afraid. I don't bite. All right. What's, what's one thing that you could say really stands out from what you're learning in Kidmo? How small people can defeat big people when God's, just, God's standing there with you. Oh my, did you, two, did you two text each other? Did you call each other this morning or last night? 
That's great. Hey, you're hearing the same message. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Give them a big hand. You hold on to that a second. Yeah. You have data. Marky, Marky, Marky data. Marky. Oh, Marky's at the. I wasn't going to say it. Mark, uh, Mark Walcott is going to the Giants game. Right as I was pulling in, he said, uh, their house, and uh, I said, these shoes are going to be taking pictures. Yeah. So, everybody here, I'm so excited to pray for that. I said to Tab, I texted him, I said, I'm more excited about Mark away from me. That's the truth. 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 How many of you are ready for some more David? Am I in the way, boys? You ready for a little more David? This is kind of a two-part. Uh, this is kind of a two-part message within the whole series itself. Does that make sense? Because what I say in this one, if you like any part of this, or you walk away and this resonates with you then you have to come back for next week because it's tethered to this. So real excited about this. Had a couple of weeks off, and it's amazing. As a preacher, when you get a few weeks to actually prepare for a message as opposed to one week, I think it does wonders, right? It really does. So I'm excited about this. And how many of you are just excited about the Word, too? Are you excited to get some more Word in you? What's some more Word? How many of you know that the Bible says the Word of God is living and active? It is not dead. The Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. No, no, no. Take the sharpest knife you have in your house. Take the sharpest sword that you've ever seen, and the Word of God is sharper than that. It pierces between soul and spirit. It pierces between marrow and joint. It understands and knows the intent and the thoughts of the heart. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. We need to understand that the Word of God is powerful. And I would just pray before we even get into this message, Lord, I pray that this Word, Lord, that you would put a fire inside of our hearts with it. Lord, I ask that you would wake us up to the truths that are in this text. Father, your word is powerful. Spirit of the living God, you are already in this place. We heard it during worship today. Move in our midst. Continue to do what you have been doing here for weeks. Father, help us as a people to continue to push back the darkness. Help us as a people to really pay attention. May our, may our eyes be open. May our ears be open. Lord, give us supernatural grace to hear your word this morning morning. May people's lives be changed just by hearing your word. Amen. And if you haven't been here for part of the series, this is like part seven. I think we're in part seven. I plan on going to into December with this. Uh, so this week, next week, we haven't even hit Bathsheba yet. Uh, Megan had asked me, my wife, are we hitting Bathsheba at some point? And I said, oh yeah, yeah, we'll get to her. We, we have some time though. And this isn't a rush. This is a marathon. This is the longest series I've ever preached yet in City on a Hill. I've never preached a series this long. But Jacob was long. This is longer. All right, so you need to have some stamina. The New York City Marathon is today. That's why I brought that up. This is not a sprint. 
And listen, that's what, that's what Christianity is, isn't it? It's a marathon. When Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. He wasn't talking about a sprint. He wasn't talking about a hundred meter dash. He's talking about going over 20 miles. He's talking about going through tumultuous times. He's talking about going through difficult obstacles and overcoming them. Right? Isn't that the truth? Can I get an amen? Thank you. All right. There's a... There's a great book. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the name, if you remember back to your American history days. Booker T. Washington. How many of you remember that name? Well, in uh, one of his books, a second chapter of his book, Up From Slavery, author, abolitionist, uh, I mean, an advisor to presidents. And when you think about the time period over 100 years ago, the time that he lived, this black man and how uh, influential he was in the American landscape. And this is what he said in, in his book. Love these words. I have learned that success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life, but by the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed. Woo! I'm going to drop some bombs today with quotes. Not, I'm just going to give you a few bombs here and there. Hopefully you take them. Hopefully you can digest them. How good is that? Now, if we were to look, if, if, the, if the measuring bar is David's life for this quote, and the second part, the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed, I would say he's doing pretty well. We have looked at David overcome some obstacles already. We went to the caves of Adullam a few weeks ago. We're going back to the caves. We're going to a different set of caves, a place called Engedi. Everyone say Engedi. Engedi. Yes, Engedi. So we're going to go there in a little bit. But I thought that this was so true. And you know what really hits me as I look at the life of David? You know what hits me? I think sometimes in looking at obstacles too, right? Looking at, at David's life through the lens of overcoming obstacles, I think too many times we look at God and say, God is all about comfort. And then we look on the other side and we say the enemy is all about the opposite. The enemy is, is, is giving us obstacles. When we have hard, difficult times in life, those are the cause of the enemy. But I would say to us this morning, so many times in my life, I don't know, I think an enemy, you know what he tries to do? He tries to keep us asleep. And a lot of times, if he can say, you know what? Just everything is really good. If there is nothing happening in your life, if you have no obstacles, don't automatically assume it's God. It could be the enemy. And don't automatically assume when you have obstacles in your life, because many times we do, and we have obstacles, it's God working behind the scenes through those obstacles. And it's God saying, when are you going to get down on your knees and ask for grace? And when you rise up, you'll know that it's me in your life. Obstacles, obstacles. When I go to the gym, listen to me. How weird would it be? Are you you go to the gym, hopefully you go to the gym, hopefully, and you go to the, I like this, by the way, I like, I'm free today, I am free, watch out, this is good, this is bad, you gave me too, too much, you think about it when you go to the gym, how silly would it be if you were lifting weights and you drop the weights because they're too heavy and you expect muscular development. How silly would it be? How silly would that be? It wouldn't make any sense. And God is saying through the life of David, how many of us are going to overcome? How many of us are going to persist? We run from conflict. We run from conflict and we pray for blessing. 
How come we run from what God is trying to use in our life? Did you hear me? We run from conflict, but God's saying, I'm in the middle of the conflict. I'm in the middle of the battle. I'm in the middle of your mess. I'm in the middle of your situation. I'm in the middle of a cave. I'm in the middle of a lion's den. That's where I am. That's where you're going to find me. That's my zip code. But we're looking for God in all the success. And all the wonderful things that we want in life. And we're praying for blessing. Well, here is David, a man. And we look at the, we look at the landscape of his whole life. I love it. One author, his name is Alan Redpath. I've read a lot of books on David. A lot of books. This one's a pretty good one. And I like this quote. Because this kind of sums up, I think, all of our lives. This is what he said. The conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment. The manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. Lifetime. David, hey, listen, he's on the road to royalty. He's on the road to royalty, but it's going to take some time. David, you're not going to get there right away. I know you want to get to the throne. Yeah, we remember what the prophet Samuel said to you, and he anointed you, and you were son number eight, and you were put out in the field, and no one really cared about you, and you were excluded, and you were marginalized. But listen, you're on the road to royalty. It's going to take you probably longer than you think. We don't want to hear that. And can I ask us, friends, what happens in life? Ready? What happens in life when you know you have a purpose, when God has called you to do something, but you feel as if your life is moving so far away from the purpose that he has for your life? What do you do? What do you do when God has called you to do something, he's called you to be something, and your circumstances don't line up with that? How about a psalm? Can I take you to a psalm when we get to this place in Getty today? How about this psalm? Psalm 57, a psalm we think he wrote when he was in this place, which you're going to hear about in a little bit. I'm going to give you some history. I'm going to set the context today. I'll preach a little bit later, but I want to teach first and set the context. And here we go. He said these words. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. That's going to be important in a little while until the disaster has passed. Has he endured a disaster? Has he endured a disaster? The hero who has taken down the giant and saved the children of Israel, has he endured a disaster? He has a king throwing spears at him. He has to duck. He has to dodge. He has to get out of dodge. And he eventually ends up in caves. He's on the run from Saul for almost 10 years of his life. Yeah, I would say his life is a mess. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends me from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. Do you know what? He didn't write these words sitting on a hammock sipping iced tea. He didn't write these words from Disney World. He didn't write these words sitting on a beach reclining. He wrote these words in a cave. And his life, when he's in a cave, caves, uh, doesn't look anything like what God told him through the prophet of Samuel earlier on when he's a young man. God, where are you? What's going on? Listen, the enemy, you know what he does? When you, he knows that God wants to use you mightily and God's going to do something in your life, you know what he does? He sends in his special forces. Did you know that? If you're under attack, I laughed last week. I almost didn't even make it a church. I laughed, and some of you heard this story. I guess it was said before I even got here. 
that I'm at the gym early in the morning and I get a text. Don't be alarmed. There's a water problem in the house. And I said to myself, of course there's a water problem in the house because it's Sunday morning and the enemy just keeps hammering away, trying harder and harder and harder. He's sending his special forces at our house. And he's sending his special forces at your house because he knows how powerful you are and he knows what God wants to do. Well, I got a message for the enemy, for my life and for your life, that we're not going to sit back and we're going to resist. The, we're going to resist what he's trying to do in our lives. Enemy, you haven't seen anything yet. Enemy, you keep coming at me, but I'm coming at you in the power of a name that is greater than you. In the name of one that kicked you out of heaven. You got excommunicated out of heaven. You thought you could be God. You thought you could sit on the throne. You were just a bellhop. You kidding me? Boom, he got excommunicated out of it like lightning. He was removed from heaven and he came down to earth and we were made in the image of God and we reflect God's glory, male and female. He created us. And what does he do now? He comes after God's creation. He comes after God's, God's, God's great creation. Everything that God loves and holds dear, he comes after us. He sends his special forces and he's coming after you. Wake up. Wake up. You think it's just a coincidence that these things happen? I laughed. You think it's a coincidence that Nolan, the three-year-old, would find a toy and he would go upstairs in the bathroom and, and giggle away and throw that little toy in the, in the toilet and clog it? You think that was a coincidence it happened on a Sunday? Was it a coincidence? It's true. Some of you were looking at me like, it happened. Right? No, it wasn't his fault. Oh, mommy, it wasn't his fault. What a typical mom. It wasn't his fault. Okay, it was somebody, it was the dog's fault. All right, the dog did it. Anyway, now we can get to, can we get to the text that I want to focus on now and give you a story? I've never preached on this story before. Uh, it's in 1 Samuel, it's in chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, probably want to go there. I'm not going to give you the whole chapter. I'm going to kind of tell you the whole chapter. I'm going to give you the first couple of verses, and then we'll get into it. I want to show you some really, I think, some really cool stuff. I'm going to start with the first two verses here. Are you ready? How many of you have it? Thank you, John. Passing out Bibles. Love it. Passing out the word. Passing it out. Who wants it? Who wants it? It's my mother-in-law in the back. All right, here we go. Verses one and two. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men. He didn't take 300. He took 3,000 men to go after David and take him out. This man has an insatiable desire to take David out. Wants him out of the picture. 3,000 men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Isn't that a great title? The crags of the wild goats. Love goats. Love goat milk. It's better for you than cow milk. I'm in church. Wait, I can't go there right now. Back up. He's in a place called En Gedi, all right? Now, En Gedi is a really... Cleopatra, you know what Queen Cleopatra said? She said En Gedi was heaven on earth. The Tapat, can I give you a little history now? Can I give you a little history lesson? 
Not much has changed for over 3,000 years with the topography at this place called En Gedi. In the desert in Israel, it's 35 miles south of Jerusalem. It is on the western shore of the Dead Sea. We went to the Dead Sea two years ago. We were there. Pretty amazing, right, to be at the Dead Sea. I was, it was hard for me to not be in En Gedi, knowing I was that close. It was tough. I didn't say anything at the time. And anyway, we were in the Dead Sea water. You go in the Dead Sea water. Did I ever tell you this? You're not, you're not, no, there's no living creatures in the Dead Sea, right? With the, right, with the salt, how powerful it is. You're not supposed to splash. You're not supposed to swim. One of my siblings, they shall remain nameless. You can do, you know, you can figure it out on your own. He was splashing in the water and trying to swim. And he thought he was like a little kid. Remember that? And I got out. I was like, I'm out. Peace. I'm out. I'm not dying. I'm not going blind. Or people say you can go blind. And I went, my eyes are much more valuable than taking a swim in the Dead Sea. It was kind of cool. But anyway. All right. So this place, back to the Dead Sea. Uh, the Dead Sea. Back to Engedi. There are amazing caves. I wanted to show you some pictures. This is the best I can do for taking you to the actual place where David hid. You know what, you know what kills me sometimes? People always sit there and they go, oh, the Bible is allegorical. Some of these stories never really happen. They're just little allegories. I've heard some people say that. I'm like, really? When you do your history and when you look and you go to a place like Israel, I will mortgage my house to take my kids one day to go back to Israel and show them. That's where the wall of Jericho came down. This is the pool of Bethsaida right here. This is where David hid out in caves. This is where Jesus Christ came. And this is where a widow was coming and there was a funeral. I can go on and on. I want my kids to see that kind of stuff so they can see it's tangible, so they can see it's real, that this is not fables and fairy tales. I like to tell you that because it's true. It's the living word of God. And here it is. Look, here it is. Here are some pictures. There's a picture. By the way, I know, I know, that looks like the Caribbean. Dead Sea, we drove, and you, right? Remember how beautiful it was? Beautiful. I thought I was going to see just gross black water everywhere. There's no life in it. No. On spots where people aren't in and it's splashing and everything. But that's the, that's the, that's the Dead Sea right there. Now, um, you see the, this place called En Gedi. 1,600 from the base of it, cliffs that are about 1,600 feet high. And in these cliffs, you can see there's En Gedi all in the background. En Gedi over there. That's the Dead Sea again. And then you see here in my next picture, right? These are some of the caves. Are you kidding me? There are caves that, that are very cavern, very big that many human beings could have gathered in. So here is David. Again, real history. You can see why when Saul is trying to capture him and he hears he's in a place called En Gedi, there were caves all over the place. Psalm 18. What does Psalm 18 say? Psalm 18 talks about what? You make my feet like hinds feet that can be set in high places. David, the author of that Psalm, you know what David was looking at? Can I show you a picture? Oh, there's another one. Here's an, I, I didn't realize that. Another picture of a cave getting a little closer. I mean, these caves, I mean, imagine just traversing, trying to get up there and into these caves. Not an easy endeavor. All right, I'll get back to that picture in a second. I'll go backwards. I just said to you Psalm 18. How many of you ever heard of the animal, the ibex? 
which was almost extinct in Israel, the ibex, that's what David, they're still there in this arid climate in the desert today, still there. They were there 3,000 years ago. So when David writes those words in Psalm 18, you make my feet like hind's feet. Here's an animal that from just standing still could jump six feet in the air today. You were there, six feet in the air. They're amazing creatures and how they can climb. And there is David 3,000 years ago, just trying to show you again that the Bible is real. I picture the psalmist, I picture him sitting there and he's watching these ibexes as they're moving up the mountain and they're going all around these cliffs. And he's going, yeah, Lord, you give me hinds feet, Lord, so that I can climb those kind of places. And here's another thing. If you're wondering, how could men sit out for years and hang out in the desert in these caves? What did they eat? Anybody ever think of that? What did they eat? Oh, I'm glad you thought that. Some of you didn't think it, but I thought for you. 400 feet above the base of the cliff, there is lush vegetation. There is a spring that is there. There is an oasis. If you had a history teacher and you didn't like history, you had a bad history teacher because history is fun. And there, they have an oasis in the middle of the desert. Right in the middle of this. And this is where animals would come. Where do you think they got their food? They would go to a place like this where the animals would drink the water and they were able to kill and, and eat and live. There used to even be palms there. In the middle. Isn't it amazing that God knew what he was doing in the middle of the desert? This is there, that there's a waterfall and there's this beautiful water that people could drink and it sustained David and his men for all this time when they were there? I love history. Did I ever tell you that? (laughs) Doesn't it make it come more alive though? Come on. Doesn't it make it come more alive? Don't you get it a little more? Like, oh, now I get where he actually was always bothered me or bothers me. And that's fine. Everyone's different, has their own preaching styles. I hear stories sometimes and I go, I don't, what's the context? Where are we? What are we talking about? How did this happen? So for me, it just, I don't know, it puts the pieces together. All right? Let's go on now. Let's go on there. From, from the Ibex, let's look at, the, look, at the, look at those horns. Pretty crazy creature, right? Daddy, I want an Ibex for Christmas. My, my oldest is in here right now. I'm going to hear that later on. Daddy, I want an Ibex for Christmas. You're never getting an Ibex for Christmas. They were almost extinct. They would probably cost $100,000. We don't have that kind of money, right? Probably a lot of money. I don't know. But some of you kids, I know what you're thinking, right? Michaela, were you thinking that the whole time? You don't lie to your uncle. Nobody was thinking that? Nobody was thinking, I want an Ibex? How, really? To have an Ibex in your backyard? What's that thing in the... You have a deer. That's not a deer. That's an Ibex in my backyard. And it's the only one on the whole island. My mind's weird. Sorry. All right. Anyway, go to, go to verses three. Now it's going to get crazy. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now, it get, now the story gets crazy. Now I'm ready to delve into the heart of the story. Three and four. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, bless you. Now, in Hebrew, relieve himself. You ready for this? What it actually means? Can I tell you what it really means? Are you ready? Can you handle this? It means to relieve yourself. (laughs) It means he went potty. Okay? Yes, it does. That's what it means. David and his men were far back in the cave. Wait a second. David and his men are in this cave, and I just showed you there are caves all over the place. What are the chances that Saul would have to relieve himself and choose the one cave that David and his men just happened to be in? 
rescue. You think about that for a second. Then the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Let me just stop there. There is nowhere in the Bible that it says this. So the men were lying, okay? There is a little truth in that, kind of like when you watch the news, it's partially true, right? Maybe there's a little bit of truth in there when you watch the news nowadays, right? You know what I'm talking about? Nowhere, though, in the text does it say this. David's men, where are you getting this from? Where are you pulling this from? It doesn't say that. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. (laughs) He cut a corner of Saul's robe. Now, if you were trying to write an impressive book, would you put in a story about a king who stopped in a cave and had to go to the bathroom? Come on, you with me? Who would put a story in like this if it was fabricated? If it wasn't true, can I tell you the history too? In Old Testament, and you're like, is he really talking about excrement? Yeah, yeah, I am, because it's kind of cool. In the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, right? In the book of Deuteronomy, it talked about that every single man had to actually even bring a shovel. You had to take care of your business. You had to cover it up. I mean, this was a big deal. Big deal in, the Old, in Old Testament law. Um, it's uncomfortable now. Some of you are like, this is real uncomfortable. I'm going to step right out of that, Okay. But here it is, right? And you think, first of all, I I looked at the story and I said, how bad are Saul's spies? These guys that he made spies. Guys, you did a great job. Great job scouting the whole area. I'm not saying it's easy, but like these guys were incompetent, right? These are incompetent spies. God is trying to show us through this story that he is still in control. And what we think sometimes are situations and obstacles, God says, you know what? They're tests, And I want to see how you're going to do on this test. But this is a coincidence, right? It was a coincidence, honey, as I walk closer to you and you're afraid because you don't know what I'm going to say. It was a coincidence 20 plus years ago that I just happened to be engaged to somebody and we broke off the engagement. I just happened to be good friends with your father at a retreat. You just happened to be cutting that girl's picture out of a wedding picture that my sister had. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even know who she was. She said she was going to marry me. She's this young girl. I didn't know who she was. I was engaged to somebody else. It just happened to be a coincidence that you fell in love with me and that eventually I fell in love with you and here we are together and two kids later, we're still going, girl. I'm serious. Think that's a coincidence? Hey, hey, pastors, you think it's a coincidence? I'm thinking about your life. You think it's a coincidence that you met a woman named Jane Hale and all that you don't know, you need to hear a little history of this church and all these other women would go to conferences. You think it's a coincidence that she chose you? She wanted you, to, she wanted to mentor you and she said, there's something about you, Linda Lecce. You got something that other people don't have and you just want the Lord and you just want to sit at my feet. That wasn't a coincidence. How about you? I'm not done with, I'm not done with both of you yet. How about this guy? You think it's a coincidence that one day you just went to a dinner and you met a man named John Barker and you're at some function and you two just kind of hit it off and that John Barker would put us in touch with the other Barkers and eventually you know what would happen in history that we would get this land that was sitting on, you know how much this land cost us? One dollar. One dollar. Oh, that's a coincidence. That's just a coincidence that Pastor Joe met John Barker. 
And the Barkers fell in love with us and we fell in love with them and they're Catholics and Protestants. Oh, beautiful, how beautiful that is when Catholics and Protestants come together and the church comes together and you put down your denominations and it's only about Jesus Christ. There are no such things as coincidences. What I'm saying to you is too many things in my life. I've just said, you know what? I've passed them off as coincidence. No, no, no. They were appointments. They were appointments. Tweet that. They were coincidences. They were appointments divinely appointed times when God said, hey, this is another test. You want a testimony? You need to be awake and you need to be alert for what's happening. You think it was by accident that you showed up here in church today? On this dreary November day, the first November Sunday in the month, you think it was a coincidence that you just showed up here today? You think it was a coincidence that you finally came? Somebody's been asking you and they've been begging you and they're telling you, when are you going to come to my church and hear the loud preacher? You got to come to the church. You got to hear this guy. He doesn't shut up and he's crazy and whatever. When are you going to come to church? And you came here today? It wasn't by accident that you came here today. Look at the person that you're sitting next to. You may be married to that person. However, you met that person. It wasn't a coincidence. I could go around this whole church. I could go around this whole... You think it was a coincidence that you two came here one day? You met the... Right? Was it a coincidence? Was it a coincidence? Some of you are getting real scared right now. You're like, "Uh uh-oh. Is he going to get in my grill right now? Think about that, though. The things we pass off as coincidence. And God's behind them the whole time. And God's speaking. David. David. I think it's Saul. Look. What are the chances? He's in our cave. Get your sword out, brother. And cut his head off. The same sword that had blood from when he killed Goliath and he got it at Nob from the priest. It still has that dried blood on it. That same sword, David, take that sword out. This is your time. This is your moment. Do what you have to do. Take this guy out. God is putting him right in your hands right now. Not like that, David. No, 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 David. Not like this, David. You know what Einstein said? I've got to give you this quote too. How about this quote for, for a coincidence? Can I just give you this? Because I was going to skip past it. And if I didn't give it to you when I went home, I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight. So I've got to show it to you. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Yeah, nah, nah, that's good. It's real good coming from Einstein. Coming from the, some theologian that you heard of. This is Einstein. That wasn't a Christian. He puts eternity in the hearts of every man. And so here it is, right? Here it is. It looks like, it looks like God is writing the scales of justice because, because he's, he set this up. David, you were the hero. You had the adulation. You had the praise of everybody. They sang songs about David, right? Saul has killed his thousands. David, you've killed your ten thousands. He has been the same one that has always followed God's plan for his life up to this point. You with me? Up to this point, he has been a man after God's own heart. He has not strayed from the plan. He has followed everything that God has wanted him to do. He has not cut any corners. It's the title of my message. Isn't a good title for this? Makes sense? Cutting corners? He has not cut any corners. He has never cut a corner. Other preachers, I stole that title. 
I mean, a thousand people, I guess, have preached this. My message is different, but I just like the title. It makes sense. He has never cut a corner, though, before. Has he cut a corner? Tell me, where in David's life, up to this point, later on, he's going to cut a lot of corners. He does not cut a corner in this situation because he knows, he knows exactly who his God is. So we ask David, David, are you, here's the test. Here's what God is testing him with. David, are you going to trust me that I can put you on the throne? Are you going to trust me? Or are you going to do it? In the words of Frank Sinatra, you're going to do it your way. That's honestly what's going on. You're going to do it your way, David? David, do it your way. That's what the guys behind him, that's what is, did I tell you those guys, they were some tough dudes. So when those guys are behind him, it's a heated conversation. Do you think, can I go backwards? When, uh, I, I will give your hand to me at your hands. And the men said, this is the day the Lord has given you. Do you think that was just like, David, this is the day the Lord has given you. I think you can go kill this guy. They are, they are, they're animated as much as they can be with him in the cave. They're like, this is it. And then the conversation that had to have ensued after this, when David says, I will not touch God's anointed. There is something called spiritual authority. I will not touch God's anointed. He is the anointed king. I'm not going to touch him. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm not going to cut corners. I'm not going to take a shortcut because the shortcut is the easiest thing to do. The longest distance between two points, a shortcut. No, it's not a shortcut. (laughs) The longest distance between two points is a shortcut. And David says, I am not going to take any shortcuts. Now look what happens in verse five, and then I'm going to give you the cool history. Ready? In verse five, it says, bye, Albert. In verse five, it says, afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. Can I show you now why he was so conscious stricken? How many of you have read this text? A lot. You've read this text, maybe? You're pretty familiar with it. Can I give you the real deal history now? Okay. Let's go to my, and I've used this before. But in a different context. I've never used it with the story. All right, this is called a talit. Everybody say talit. All right, a talit is a prayer shawl, okay? You go to any synagogue, you'll see any Jewish man, most Jewish kids, they'll be wearing what is known as a talit, a, 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 a prayer shawl, okay? This prayer shawl. I use this in the past in the context of a, of a story of the woman that had the issue of blood and she reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. If you never heard that message before, it's quite powerful, but that's not my story right here. Here's what I want to tell you. In Jesus' day, every single man would walk around with a robe. It was called a talit. This today is a talit, but back then it was a four-cornered robe. Are you with me? Jesus' day, everybody had a robe on. Four corners on the robe. Now, on this robe, they had, and what they have today, they have on these corners, the corners were called the kanaf. Say kanaf. Kanaf. Now the corner is called the kanaf, and then on the outside, these tassels, these little tassels were called sitzi. Say sitzi. Sitzi. All right, you're, you're, you're almost fluent in Hebrew, okay? Now, what's wild, this was a tactile, tangible, understanding for every Jewish person that went all the way back to the Old Testament laws. How many laws? 613 laws. So a Jewish man, and some of them had more ornate robes. Obviously, if you were a king, if you were royalty, your robe would be more ornate. Now, I'm not done yet. Here's my illustration that you need to understand. Hebrew is a very poor language. What do I mean by that? Do I mean it's a bad language? 
No, it's not a bad language. It has about 80,000 words. By poor, I mean, one word in Hebrew could mean a bunch of different things. Conversely, in English, you know how many words we have? Over 650,000. And you use, on average, 2,500 to 3,000 words every single day. Some of you use a lot more than that, but the average person uses 2,500 to 3,000. So, in this text, this is wild... The kanaf, I said, is the corner. There is Saul. When he went in to relieve himself, he would have taken off his robe, his talit, done his business, and then put it back on. When he, and that makes sense too. David's not there cutting the robe while the guy's got it on, right? He took it off and put it next to him, right? Okay, giving you the picture. So David would have cut off the corner of the robe, which would have had tassels, and is the kanaf. Now, stay with me. This is the last part I promise. I'm walking you. Connect the dots. Kanaf in Hebrew. I told you it's a poor language. It also, the word corner also means wings. So if it also means wings, it's a way of saying, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That there you are, Saul is under God's wings. So when David rolls up onto him and he cuts off a corner of the robe and then he comes outside afterwards and he shows him the corner of the robe. Do you know what he was saying? He was saying God's protection is no longer on your life. You are no longer under the shadow of the Almighty and he's going to take the kingdom from you. That's the Bible. I love to teach the Bible. That's the real deal Bible right there. It's really what happened. Real stuff. I thought it was fairy tales. I thought it wasn't real. I thought it was fake. Real history. Baby, fold that up for me. I love you. How cool is that? Honestly, how cool is that? Now, 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 friends, you can actually see and understand why David's conscience was stricken. And you say that was a good thing. This is the first time he's cutting corners. That is God's anointed. Do you realize what he said to him? Saul understood it in verse 20. I didn't put it up. In verse 20, I have it on my phone here. Look, I'll just read you verse 20. It's not long. It's pretty short. This is what David, this is what it says. Saul says, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. He understood it after this. Do you you understand? He understood the message that David was saying, the picture that he was painting. How cool is the Bible? You're done, Saul. But that is why his conscience was so stricken after he cut this. Now, listen to this. What's wild to me is you look at David and he's in the cave. Go to verse 2. What am I going? I'm going the wrong way. I'm going the wrong way. Just hook me up with verse 2. I got to go past all these pictures again. I got to go past all the pictures. There it is. Um, after Saul returned from pursuing them, he's told David is in the desert and in Gedi. So he took 3,000 men of Israel and set out to look for David and all of his men there. Now, here's what's interesting. He is, David, is inside a cave. What does Saul represent? Saul represents his future of who he's going to be. On the outside of the cave, I was wrong on the verse, it's three or four. In three or four, it talks about right next to the cave is what? The sheepfold. 
You think that was on accident that the writer tells us that? Do you think it was on accident, again, no coincidences, that David came from the sheepfold? Are you with me? That David came from the sheep pasture and eventually makes his way to the palace? That God said, this is who you were, and in the cave is who you're going to be, and David is kind of stuck in the middle? You know what I think? I think what's more important than than the end of the journey, the destination, is how you get there. It's how you get there, how we get there. Are we going to cut corners in getting to where we need to be? Because David says in this story, I'm going to be king, but I don't want to be king that way. I don't want to get to the throne that way. And God says, look, this is an assignment for you. This is a test. How are you going to act? What are you going to do? I will not become something I'm not. For something that I want. Did you hear me? I'm not going to be, David said, I'm not going to become something I'm not just for something that I want. He knew he was going to be king. He wanted to be king by this point. Is that bad? No. God told him he was going to be king. And then go to six and seven. Let's go all the way down. Skip through these pictures. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, Angeti. Okay, okay. We're almost there. Six and seven. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. I told you that kind of conversation they must have had. But you know who we are? I said to you about cutting corners. We are probably the most impatient people that have ever lived. Right? Think about some of the things we do. We speed date. We eat fast food. We go to the food store. We want the speed checkout line. We start things and we don't fin. Yeah. <laughs> right? Took you a little while to get that. We, 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 we clamor for more security when we get on planes, but then we complain when it takes so long when we get up there. You know what we want? Can I tell you what we really want? We want microwave Christianity. We want microwave Christianity. Throw me in the microwave and send me out as a Pop-Tart. That's what I want. I'm going to be a Pop-Tart. No, no, no. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about crockpot Christianity. I'm talking about a slow roast. Slow, where you marinate something for seven or eight hours. And it just comes to... You ever see when you put something in the crockpot at first, it doesn't look good? But then by the end of the day, you open it up and how savory it smells, that garlic. And I'm getting you hungry as you leave here. I'm doing my job, right? And you smell the garlic and you smell the chicken or you smell that beef. We call him Poppy. He makes a steak pizzaiole. Mmm, the smell that comes out of there. I can smell it right now, Poppy. I can smell it right now. You know what I'm talking about? But we want that. We want everything right now, Right? We don't want to wait for anything. We're, we're too impatient. We want shortcuts. You know what we do too? You know what we do too? This is John Maxwell. I read this and was like, oh, look, that's so powerful. John Maxwell said, if you don't know, he's like a leadership guru. He said, we overestimate the moment and we underestimate process. Well, we overestimate. How, some of you don't write or put that. How do you not put that in your phone? I didn't say it. I'm just telling somebody else said it. How do you not? T- like, really? Like, that's like money. That's like if you came, that's, if you got nothing else and you got that one quote, that is life changing. Because where are people? Where are people? We don't like process. And here is David. You know what's more important than, than the moment? David, don't you, David, don't do it. David, don't do it. Don't take out God's anointed. He's going to get you to the throne. You know what's more important than that? 
a legacy. Legacy. Can I ask you a question? Megan said, say it again. We overestimate the moment and we underestimate the process. That's what we do. I do it. Come on, we all do it. But I think what's more important than that is a legacy. Can I ask you, what would have happened if David actually killed Saul? Because all I think, these are things that you just like ruminate on as like a preacher. You just like think about them and you sit there. I sit outside in the prayer chapel and I just kind of stare out the window and I play the whole movie out. And I wonder, what would have happened if David actually killed Saul then? Think about it. Come on, stop and think about it. Do you think God would have still made him king? Steve, what do you think? Steve, I saw you shaking your head. Do you think he still would have been king? Come on, you think he still would have been king? You do. Despite that, he kills Saul, takes him out. God's anointed. Okay, anybody else? You think he would have been king? Yeah, I see a lot of yeses. Pastor Linda, what do you think? You're a pastor. What do you think? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, it's a tough question to answer. Some of you answering it so quickly. Ron says no. I don't know. We don't, we don't know. It's conjecture, right? We don't know for sure, but this is the stuff that's fun to think about. I don't know. I don't want to give you my answer. You know, not that you want my answer, but I'm just not giving it to you anyway. But I think what's so interesting for, for us as Christians, can I, be, can I be really honest now as we leave? I'm, I, I promise I'm closing up in a minute. We're so into shortcuts in our culture. Come on, how many of you are with me? Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, this is going to knock you right between the teeth because it knocked me between the teeth. Kierkegaard said, this is from uh, Philip Yancey's book, Disappointment with God. That's right, I, I got this from. Kierkegaard said that Christians reminded him of schoolboys who want to look up the answers to their math problems in the book, in the back of the book, rather than work them through. Isn't that, I mean, come on, we yearn for shortcuts. We yearn for shortcuts. But shortcuts usually lead people away from growth, not toward it. Apply the principle, or his, oh my gosh, directly to David. What was the result of the trials he went through? As Abraham Heschel, a great rabbi, observed, Jewish rabbi, faith like David's cannot be shaken because it is the result of having been shaken. You can't have faith. Listen, you can't, be a, you can't be a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart unless something inside of you gets really shaken, unless you go through some really difficult ordeals. I know what it's like. And you may be going, you don't know what it's like to be in a cave. I'm in a cave right now. And you feel like you're in a cave. I'm in a cave right now. And it's a test. It's an appointed time. And God wants to know. And you may feel like you're there. It's an appointed time where God is saying, how are you going to handle this? Because you know what people want? We want more. We want more. You know what we have with our shortcuts? We have one minute Bible reading plans. We have five minute devotionals. Come on, don't, I'm, you want me to keep going? We have, we have, uh, we have studies, about 40-day studies about all these things that you can do. It's like milk, infantile milk. We have all these things. It's not the end point. That's what we've settled for, a shortcut Christianity. Here you go, you can be a Christian, spend five minutes a day in a devotional. Are you kidding me? There aren't any shortcuts. It's going to take more time that we have to invest. More time, more hard work, more grit. It just doesn't happen. You kidding me? How many hours as preachers? You know how many hours I spent on this one message? You know how many things aren't even in this message? Listen, I may not be the best preacher around, but no one's going to outwork me. You're not going to work harder than me. I'm going to give everything I got on every single message. It's the Super Bowl. Every time I come in, if this place had 5,000 people or this place had five people, my message and my intensity and my passion wouldn't change. What are we doing? 
There's no shortcuts. I don't want to be a good preacher. I want to be a great preacher. And if I want to be a great preacher, that means I'm going to have to work hard. That means when other people are watching TV and doing other stuff, no, I'd rather read. I'd rather sit at the Lord's feet. I'd rather study his word. What about you? What about you? Where are there shortcuts in your life? Oh, let's let's put it where the rubber meets the road. If you say as a father or a mother, you sacrifice and you say, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice time with my kids because I'm going to spend it at the office and I'm going to find success at the office. Guess what? You may have what you invested your time in, but then when you look back on it later on, you may look at this and go, what do I actually even have? What have I done with my life? There are so many shortcuts. Where are you taking shortcuts in your Christian walk? Where are you taking shortcuts? In your personal life, in your marriages. Hey, I got called out this week. And I rightfully so, I got called out. Yeah, you know what? I don't care. I take my clothes off sometimes. I'm, I'm talking about myself. And if you're a married couple, you have issues too. You're not, we're not the only ones that go through stuff and, and are, are good conversation. But you know what? My wife called me out on something because I was kind of taking a shortcut. And where have you been? And you're in la-la land sometimes. And you're in the word. And I don't see you really as much at peace. What's going on in your life? And I was taking a shortcut in my marriage. And she had to slap me in the face. Not literally, but she did. Where are you taking shortcuts in your Christian walk? You know what? God wants to give you the whole robe, not just the end, not just the corner. And so many of us are settling for corner Christianity. I'm trademarking that. Corner Christianity. I'm trademarking. It's mine. Don't try to take it. We're settling for the corner when we could have the whole robe. God says, I want to give you everything. But here you are. You're just settling for this. Look what you're settling for. And then finally, can I lead you to where I'm going to take you next week? You ready for this? If you liked any part, I'm, t- I'm telling God gave me a picture. I don't usually say this to you, but God gave me a picture in my private time and studying for next week that I, I can't wait. I want to give it to you right now, but I can't. I want to give it to you. I think it's gonna. I think it'll be cool. I think. I think it's gonna be cool. But I want you to see this. Look at the end of, of chapter twenty-four and verses seventeen to twenty. Then he said to David, Saul and David. So David comes out of the cave eventually, right? So Saul's you know far away enough from him that he can. He's not worried about him taking his life. And as he says to David, Saul says, to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil, and you have shown this day. How you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let, excuse me, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king. The kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. And then finally, therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. That's the bridge between this week in, in the David series and next week when you meet Mephibosheth. And if you, if you, you bring the Kleenex, just bring the Kleenex because I'm going to hit you in your heart. That's where I, I, I can hit you in your heart. Certain things I can't do, as a, I'll hit you in your heart. 
and I feel like already God's given me a picture of, of what we need as a church and, 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 and what we're doing in this story and, and how to just to live. So I hope it comes out that way. But Lord, let's close up and pray before we have the table. Lord, Father, I thank you, first of all, that you didn't cut any corners. You sent your son and there was a cross. And he said, I'll go to that cross. He could have called down legions of angels to take him off that cross. But Jesus, you, the son of God, said, I am not cutting any corners. I am going to go the distance. Peter, don't cut Malchus's ear. Peter, get behind these Satan. Peter, Peter, I have a mission. I have a job to do. There is a cross that is in front of me. And the sooner I can go to the cross and the sooner they can put me in the tomb, the sooner I can be resurrected again, go back to be in heaven with my father. So don't try to stop the plan. Let's not cut any corners. Oh Lord, I thank you for the greatest story that has ever been told. Father, I ask that right now, as we come to the table, that people would do real business with you, that they would look at their own lives and see where they're cutting corners as fathers and as mothers, even young people. Where are they cutting corners, Father? Oh, Lord, we don't want to be a church that cuts corners. We want to be a people that go all the way, a people that are diligent, a people that trust you. We trust your plan. We don't try to get to the throne our own way. We don't do things our way. We do it your way. Have your way, Lord, in our lives right now. Amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.